Good morning, everybody. It's Jeff Goldberg for the Sales Pro Network here live on Facebook. I think we're live on LinkedIn and on our YouTube channel. It's Friday morning at 10 o'clock, so we must be doing an interview. And in fact, we will be in just a moment. As you know, I founded the Sales Pro Network to elevate the profession of sales. It's a place where salespeople can come and share their success stories, their challenges, get great advice and coaching from lots of wonderful people, including people like today's guests, and just a general place where you can learn network, excel, and grow. Uh, as I mentioned, every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, we either do a training session or a live interview with somebody who can add value to the profession of sales. And I promise you, today is no exception. It is my pleasure to introduce you to my new friend, Steffi Pascal. Good morning, Steffi. Good morning, Jeff. Thank you so much for inviting me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm really excited to be speaking with you. Before we get started, can you just maybe give people a two-minute version of your background, what brought you up to what you're doing today? I like that you put a time frame in. Otherwise, this would be very boring because it'll show my age and experience. Uh, I've been I started off in sales a long time ago and was and exceeded in it and did really well and figured out my formula to success. So top country in many uh, large companies uh, and small. And then I moved on to sales management. And it always seemed that uh, folks who were sales or even management came to me for coaching and helping them improve their sales. Eventually, I started my own consulting coaching. So I'm sales coach consultant, helping all tenured uh, salespeople, sales management, and executive level improve their performance and ultimately resulting in higher sales and better earnings. And do you work with any particular type of salesperson or organization, or does what you uh, share with people really apply across the board? It really does apply across the board. There has been definitely a vein of even higher need lately, especially what's been going on, which is in the technology space. So I do a lot of work with MSPs. Um, those are who sell technology, either they're selling the software, hardware, as well as their network, cybersecurity services, or only one part of it. And they tend to be small or medium companies that, that really need to increase their sales uh, they are expanding, so they tend to call me a lot. And you you said some magic words a moment ago that caught my attention. You figured out your uh, formula for success. Can you speak a little mm -hmm. bit about that? What's your formula for success? Because I think all of us in sales are always looking for that. What's that magic trick? What is the formula that's going to get us to be a top producer, really successful, make a bunch of money, help a lot of people? So, thank you for asking that. Uh, early on in my career, I realized that what, as I started measuring my data points, how many calls I was making, how many, how many calls it took me to have a meeting, out of those meetings, what did it take me in some positions I had? I was, we, we were able to do trials where we got to bring the equipment and they tried out. Other uh, sales positions was demos and others would just be presentation to quote and then to close. So in all those scenarios, and I used to sell surgical equipment, I sold Early on, uh, I won't even talk about it, but typewriters, believe it or not. Remember those? That was me in the early days of, I still have my scars from Colcon. So really, everybody has a specific formula. So the way to ascertain that is leverage, I'm a big CRM person, leverage those data points, even if it's four basic ones, you know, the calls, the meetings, the quote, and the close. And then you'll see your formula. And for me personally, I was able to pull that formula and put it in different products and services as I was being recruited to other companies who wanted me to sell for them, whether it was major accounts. And then I had the same formula when I became a sales manager at ADP, where I looked at my sales reps and each one had a different formula. Some were just, they really needed to make a heck of a lot more calls to get that first meeting. Others just, they were just their technique, their skills on the phone, they were able to make a shorter amount of call, a lower amount of calls to get meetings. And then sometimes they got stuck in that pipeline uh, where the person who maybe had to make a million phone calls to get a meeting, they could get to quote and close. It was very interesting. So the formula to success, here you go. Figure out your formula. Yeah, um, I find so many salespeople do not do exactly what you just said. They don't pay attention to metrics at all. Uh, they're not They're not tracking what they're doing. And I find that mostly it's because, well, A, we're lazy. And I didn't say they're lazy. You know, As salespeople, we tend to be lazy, at least I am. Uh, I wanna make the most amount of money I can with the least amount of work. 
And I've also found that salespeople tend to think that if they're tracking their metrics, their manager will use those numbers against them. Whereas I find any smart manager, and one of the things I do is outsource sales management. I'm currently managing three teams at three different companies. The smart mm-hmm. manager uses those numbers to help their salesperson understand where they're at and what they need to do to get to the next level. Because I, I, I know that I'm preaching to the choir here. When you know your numbers, when you know your ratios, actually, you know, your ratio, for, for example, dials to the time you get through, the number of times you speak with people to get an appointment, things like that that's when you gain some real power and you can achieve almost any goal. Are, are there, you, you mentioned four, uh, are there other things you suggest people should be tracking? Great question. Tracking referrals, tracking uh, what what closed and, how, and what won so you can analyze that and say, okay, how did we lose that? Don't just say, oh, I lost it and then we move on, although it becomes a game of numbers. Really analyze it. Take that pause, even if it's five minutes, Go through in your mind that sales process, that lead got to hear, got to hear, got to a quote. Ah, I get it. I didn't. And this I get a lot. I didn't have all the stakeholders. I'm going to make a note of that, that early on in the process, my sales process, I will ask the question, who else will be involved? Who else is impacted by this service? Happy to invite them to the next meeting. Matter of fact, I think it'll be critical because I have some information might not be interested for you. But for them, being a user could be critical. What a great point. I find that just like salespeople don't like to um, use metrics, they also tend to not want to uh, really look at what's working and not what's not working, what went well and what didn't went well. And I think it's crucial that after every sale or after every sales uh, interaction, you should be looking at what went well, what could I have done better? It's certainly true when you don't get a sale. You, you should be looking at, okay, what could I have done differently? Look, in, in many instances, it's not the salesperson's fault. They just, they're talking to the wrong person or the wrong company. They don't have the rights, whatever it is. It's not necessarily, it's not a blame game, but but it's what went well and what didn't. And I think the same thing should be done when you close the deal. What, what did I do in this particular instance that made this all come together? You can get incredibly valuable information by just analyzing. And the other thing I love to do, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this, your best source of information is from your prospects and your clients. Come right out and ask them. I, I recently heard something from a client of mine because I always ask, you know, what did you like about working with me? What didn't you like? What could I have done better? And this was fascinating to me because I've been doing this like you a long, long time. You said typewriters. I sold Encyclopedia Britannica. So <laughs> we've been around a while. But a, a, yeah. a client recently told me that he and his management team, the thing they liked best about working with me was that their salespeople now have more confidence. And it never occurred to me that that's something I give to salespeople. I teach them skills and strategies and techniques and I give them tools and tips and I do mindset work. But it never ma- never occurred to me that, oh, what, I, what all that's doing is it makes them more confident. And of course, when you're more confident, you sound better. People respect you more. They, they believe in you. So do, do you ask uh, your clients, you know, what did I do well? What could I have done better? I mean, I find them to be a great source of uh, uh, information. It's a great question. And I'm in full agreement with your approach. Actually, after at the end of every session, we recap and there's always assignments to be you know, very action oriented. And it's what what would you what did you get out of this this coaching session? What do you want to do more of? And then I also do monthly leadership because I also I'm doing I also out, I've been outsourced as well as, as a sales manager and I've one on ones with the leadership uh, on a quarterly basis. And at that point, it's a recap and the same thing. What do you want me to do more of less of always? And, you know, to your point, it's, it's really getting feedback throughout the process. And then let's do the kicker here at the end, uh, you know, asking for a referral if you've done this wonderful job. Who else, who else do you know? Um, and I don't say lead or referral, just, you know, I've helped you with, with um, in, improving your sales. Uh, when you think about other MSPs or whoever we're working with or other financial financial services, uh, who in that space do you think I should contact that uh, I can also help them increase their sales and, and improve their performance? So it all, it's all just a beautiful loop. And, you know, it makes our, as a salesperson, manager, coach, it, it improves what we're doing. If we don't ask for that feedback, we may 
well, first of all, we're very myopic. We're just thinking we're wonderful and isn't this great, but we don't improve. And let's face it, selling is different from when we sold encyclopedias and typewriters and today. So if we're not always asking for feedback and then doing the extra work to continue adding our skill set, adding our, you know, uh, knowledge base, we're going to act like this is what you're supposed to do when you coach someone to sell typewriters, which is different now. There's some some basic foundation for sure. But the way we go about business, we have, you know, technology to make things go faster, more rapidly. Yeah. I especially like uh, the the way you worded your uh, referral request, uh, where I see so many salespeople will say things like, you know, anybody that I should be speaking with, which, of course, is a yes, no question and not a great one. Uh, I, I the way I do it is simply look as you can probably imagine i grow my business through direct referrals from happy customers just like you who do you know that i should be speaking with which hopefully makes them think about who they know rather than should i give jeff a referral or not by the way good morning uh, if you've joined if you're joining us live or if you're watching on the replay if you're joining us live please say hello and if you did not connect your uh, facebook to Streamyard, then let us know who you are otherwise we want to just say facebook user and if you're watching on the replay just uh, make sure that you put in hey replay uh, good morning, Steve Kent. Always a pleasure to see you, my friend. Ben Gibbs. How are you doing, Ben? Don Levine, our executive recruiter from Westbury, and Keith Ginsburg. He says, I'm in. Good morning, Jeff World. So you're not part of Jeff World, Stephanie. Um, <laughs> I love it. You know, Tony Scalise is here, too. He says, hello there, sir. And I'll say hello there, ma'am. Um, hello there. How, about, how about sales experts? Uh, you know, I, I don't know about you. I read almost everything that comes out. I still listen to other people because I don't know it all. And you never know when somebody mm-hmm. else has figured out something that we may be able to pass on to our clients. Who are some of the sales experts you respect, some of the books that you recommend? <laughs> well, it, it's interesting because a lot of my reading, a lot of times I'm very much zeroed in on my clients and what they do. You know, I have clients that sell plastic and financial services and technology. I mean, it's so I consume myself with understanding my clients so I can best serve them. And in terms of sales, I mean, I just love the old Zig Ziglar. I just think the the old sales books, is a, there's just wonderful nuggets of information that will build your foundation. That's how I learned. I mean, I sat in front of Tommy Hopkins VHS over and over and over because that was my mentor. That was my teacher. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. And at least he gave me this skeleton framework. Some stuff I'll call it a little cheesy, kind of, but kind of fun and kitschy. You know, he called his agreement, don't forget to give the best friend. I mean, there are salespeople that the, the prospect wants to buy and the salesperson is holding back the agreement because they're afraid of going sign here. So Tommy Hopkins, big thing is don't forget about your best friend. So there's some fun stuff. I love the book, Think and Grow Rich. You know, we all don't have the answers. One of my favorite is surrounding yourself with more knowledgeable people. You know, I was a big Tony, I still am, Tony Robbins. You know, I I consumed everything, almost every book, uh, spin selling to, you know, because it all, if you think about it, all the books, all the books to today, all that knowledge is a spin from information way back, way back. It's just spun into a different delivery, different word usage, different framing. But at the end of the day, your sales process pretty much is the same. How you approach overcoming objections, like it's all the same. But all of that really helps to, to reinforce, you know, whether it's audiobook or regular. I completely agree. Uh, in fact, I, I've shared the stage with many other trainers and we, we're all essentially saying the exact same thing, just using different words. We have different personalities. And you might be interested to know that my very first sales training that I ever attended 46 and a half years ago, your friend and mine, Tom Hopkins, live in Chicago. Wow. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the alternative of choice clothes. And uh, you know, I, I yeah. still remember something you just mentioned. He taught us about red flag words, words that can scare a prospect like contract. I, I never ever call the contract the contract. It's the agreement or the paperwork. I never ask for a signature. It's your okay or your approval. And that is a direct result of Tommy Hopkins 46 and a half years ago. And wow. it, I agree, it's the little tiny things like that that yes. can make a difference. I say one word can make a difference in the sales, yes. a sale being closed or not. And uh, I, I'm sure that like me, when you're coaching people, I'm listening to every word they say and I will pick apart a word I do it as politely and kindly as I possibly can, but, but 
you know, uh, you know, people engage with people like you and me so that we can help them do that little fine tuning. Because I find, and I, I'd love to hear what you feel. I find often it's not a huge thing that somebody's missing or, or doing wrong. Often it's the little things. Do you do you find that to be the case? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I, I there are, there are not many times that during coaching a salesperson can share a recording of the sales calls. Um, I've had that on very rare occasions, and that's usually when a salesperson is demoing and then they record it because the, the prospect may want to share it with someone else because they're demoing this product, but they're also selling. So I get the opportunity. Uh, it's very. I'll just do a tweak right now. So one of the, the feedback I'd given was don't treat the meeting as a demo. It's a sales call. It's your opportunity to take control. Frame, frame that meeting. Don't just jump in and say, all right, let's get into the demo. I have some, uh, some parts of this system I want to show you. And then all it is is a very transactional sales approach with features, benefits. And at the end, not even, you know, next step or I'll add one more thing. You know, when that, when that call just drops off without a next step, that little, that little feedback changes everything. And that example, by the way, and I can go even deeper, um, it, it catapulted his sales. And it yeah. was, you could have taken just two nuggets of the coaching and that alone would have changed his closing ratio. So yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not a big fan of, there's a number of words in sales that I don't like, like pitch. I hate the word pitch. Oh, I do too. And I also hate demo. Demo implies, let me just show you our stuff. Let me show you why we're the greatest company in the world. Our products or services are the best. Why you should use us. I call that, call that throwing up on customers' shoes. You know, to, to me, sales is a conversation or a series of conversations leading to help the other person choose to do business with you. Uh, as good as I'm sure you are and I am it. And everybody else who's listening, by the way, good morning. There's a, a user from Texas. I'm betting that's Fran Call Hebler. Good morning down in Texas. And uh, hi, Bavin. Would you be sharing a link of the recording? Uh, I'll tell you at the end how to get the recording, uh, uh, Bavin. And I hope I pronounced your name correctly. But yeah, hi, to, everybody. I'm sorry. Hi, everybody. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, I, I, I find that way too often people are just missing the little things and, and, and it. it, it Pitching just doesn't work. It really needs to be a back and forth. Yes. Uh, too, too many times, salespeople think we get paid to talk, and it's mm -hmm. just not true. You and I get paid to talk as professional speakers, but selling, I get paid to ask questions. Mm -hmm. um, I know that you work with account managers quite often, mm -hmm. and um, you know there are salespeople who have a huge number of accounts, and of course, an account manager should be managing a bunch of accounts, and quite often they have annual agreements and. Mm -hmm. I find that quite often salespeople only get in touch. They'll send an email or a text or a call. You know, hey, it's time to renew your contract. Um, how do you feel about that? And if you feel like I do, what are the, some of the best ways that an account manager can stay connected to their clients during the year uh, so, you know, and still manage their time, but stay in touch so that it's not just, oh, hi, I want to get more money out of you? It's a great question. Thank you for asking, Jeff. Uh, so... Some account managers, if they have a book of business where they can absolutely manage touch points, leverage that CRM for touch points, whether it's a text, hello, an email, a full-blown meeting, but do that. For those with a larger book of business, put in a strategic plan. Take the 20, it's usually an 80-20, so take 20% of your database, as well as really looking at your whole database of accounts and ascertaining of this group, which is usually 20%, which ones could pretty much def, uh, just kill my chances of not only hitting quota, but devastating my earnings. Like it could almost, I ask this of, of owners as well, which ones will could almost put you out of business? Because sometimes, you know, the big accounts, you start living off of them. And, and you're putting all your eggs in that one or two or three. So which of those with that group, let's say it's 20%, put a plan together. So you're going to have a different plan. You definitely want to be talking to them. It could be once a month, a quick call, quick touch base, 
anything. It could be you're on LinkedIn and you saw they posted something, an article, and just do a comment through LinkedIn. Hey, John, I saw the article. I'm in full agreement. Matter of fact, I'm going to email you. I want to pile on that because I saw something else that you might be of interest because now you know their interest. But constantly staying engaged. They may even be the ones that you're getting the referrals from. For the other, let's call it 80%, have a marketing drip campaign. Now, either your marketing, if you're lucky enough to have a marketing department, work with them so they're set up. And you can do it where they get an email, three, four, five weeks later, they get another touch base. And then it by maybe the you know, second month, again, depending on how you manage your time, you do a LinkedIn messaging. And also make sure you're LinkedIn on all your contacts, all of them. Even if it's someone that's more of an influencer, not even an influencer, but someone that you 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 constantly are in contact with. It could even be an administrative person who happens to, yes, let me get you through to Jeff and link in with them. So you keep, you want that account to be very sticky. Uh, you also want your emails to be personal and not templated, especially with your 20%. So when you do your mail merge for your 80% drip campaign, just make sure it's to Jeff uh, and and generic enough where you don't have to change every one. That's not the point because you're not going to have time to do that. But that it it they can feel that this was something sent to them and not sent to 100 people. Also leveraging Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, and as I mentioned, texting. You could even with your 20% or your 80% do a like, but no matter what, that 20%, maybe yours is a little more because you look and say, okay, these aren't large revenues for me, but if I lose these two, that's a problem. Add that to the list. And that's the full court press marketing that you're doing to keep them hooked in and, and have a quarterly review. Or if you don't want to call it a quarter, some quarterly reviews, quarterly business reviews can be pretty intense, especially in technology world where you're pulling a lot of data. It's very intense. You're getting engineers involved. Perhaps you're doing more of a business review and you set that up quarterly and you have the owners come in, if that makes sense. Uh, but you have those stakeholders in and maybe you're just reviewing what's been happening. You're giving them some new information. 30 minutes, one hour, boom, and you move on. This keeps you latched in. Otherwise, guess what? There are other salespeople that are really good and they're trying to get in and they keep trying and trying. And it's not Teflon. That wall isn't Teflon. You never know when there's going to be a crack in it. Something silly like, oh, I haven't talked to that account in a little while. Just that, oh, that little while all of a sudden is 90 days. And that other person who's really persistent, like you and me, Jeff, we are cracking and we see one fine crack. Like we got in, someone said something. We're full boat in, right? We're going to now do a follow-up email. We're going to do a LinkedIn. We're going to do everything I'm talking about. And suddenly the woman, Kathy, who was the account manager for the last three years, she doesn't mean as much right now because guess what? One of the top statistics of losing a good account is that prospect, and this is a statistic, doesn't think you care. And guess what? Caring is the kind of activity I'm I'm recommending and I assure you works. Yeah. The last thing people want to think is that they're just a paycheck for you and they, you only call once a year when it's time to renew. Uh, and what something you said a moment ago is a hundred percent true. You know, your competition is calling your, your customers every day. Our competition, your competition, my competition, everybody who's listening, your competition is trying to beat down the door, trying to steal your business away from you, just like you're doing to them. And if you're not paying attention to your customers, they're going to, they're going to be able to put that wedge in there and drive the customer to themselves. I, I personally like something as simple as a monthly newsletter. And you just send out, it's not personal, but it's still something. You wanna keep your, your, your name and your company's name top of mind with your clients and your prospects, and most people don't do it. But you mentioned something else a moment ago that's uh, near and dear to my heart, and I, I know that you believe in this too. Referrals to me are the greatest thing that you can possibly have. LinkedIn is the greatest gift to salespeople, but mm -hmm. referrals, there's nothing to me like a well-made introduction, a well-made referral. Mm -hmm. I say it takes you halfway to a sale, but most salespeople, A, never ask at all, and B, don't know how and they struggle. So I know your business, like mine, is mostly referral-based. How can salespeople get more referrals? It's a great question. I love that. Uh, and you're so right, Jeff. Just asking right? Just asking. Well, game of numbers, that adds to your formula. 
you will get a referral, I promise. I promise. It's a game of numbers. By the end of the year, if you haven't asked all the time and don't get referrals, then A, let's look at your script of what you're saying. How are you asking? Uh, or B, really? You didn't get a referral? I'd be shocked. So one of the one of the ways is to build a network. Uh, and you've probably heard you've probably heard the coin phrase because I didn't coin it, center of influence. So you want to be a center of influence and you want others to be a center of influence. So what happens is you can sit down and I actually have this template I use with, with my uh, clients and you're in the middle. And if you put spokes, I'll give you a visual spokes and a bunch of bubbles. And in those bubbles are, ca- are industries. It could be it's contact maybe within an industry that you're an expert in. And that you would love to get referrals from from that 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 person who happens to be very well known in in that industry world. Another bubble could be specific clients that love you, that get what you do, and they're very well connected. Now, center of influence is different than someone that gives you a referral, like maybe once or twice. Center of influence is a flow of referrals. So the other is um, if you lost the business, they know, especially if you've taken them through the sales uh, process, they know what you do. They've gotten to know you. Hopefully you've built some good rapport in the beginning, but it really isn't a good fit. And maybe you even realize it's not a great fit. Maybe you're just too much of a robust system for them and you really need to wait. That happens actually with one of my one of my clients, they work with a lot of incubators. And there are many times they say not now, but they can see down the future, they'll probably be a good client. Well, guess what? This prospect now knows them very well. Ask, you know, now that you know what we do, I know that you're also in touch with other companies that are past the incubation period. Who else in that space should I be contacting? Now, notice I didn't say, do you have, you know, I'm always, you know, do you have a referral for me? Uh, do you know someone, which is yes or no, you know, get as specific as you can. Nurture your COIs, your center of influences, know their birthdays, connect in LinkedIn, build a relationship like their family. That's how you do it. Then you, you, you just, you just will receive referrals. It just comes in. Get another bubble would be someone that sells into the same profile you do. And you compliment what they do, you will get a lot of business. I, I love you. See me smiling. I love that one. I I love making relationships with headhunters who recruit salespeople because we don't compete with each other, but we're talking to the same prospects for sales training. They're talking to VPs of sales because those are people who are hiring salespeople, and the recruiter is talking to salespeople and sales managers, which both you and I do coaching with. I, I love meeting those. But anybody who's selling to the same prospect that you are is a great person to form a relationship with. And by the way, speaking of uh, great relationships, Peter Ekstrom says your number one customer is your competition's number one prospect. Peter Ekstrom is an expert at cold calling. And Peter, if you're still listening, and I hope you are, I just realized I don't think we ever did an interview and I'd love to bring you on because Peter Ekstrom is an expert at cold calling. And I think that's something we all hate doing and need to be better at. Um, if, a, if a salesperson is struggling, as so many salespeople do, Thank goodness for you and me. Otherwise, we'd be out of business. Uh, but w- when a salesperson is struggling, is there something they can do themselves to actually take a look and self-diagnose where in the process am I, am I going wrong and how can I improve that? Or do they really need to work with somebody like you? Yeah, um, I really think that coaching across the board is just helpful for everyone. Because, And I will address the question you had because there is a way to self-diagnose yourself. Or as I would say it, I don't like using the word problem, but, you know, it's like a sales problem identifier. Like, where is my challenges? And I'd rather use challenges and problems. Uh, But coaching is really critical because even when you identify where you are, you still may need that that extra sounding board, the person that you may even role play with. I mean, I'll do role plays during coaching sessions like let's play this out. You know, let me be that prospect. Aside from that, it's also hearing how they may approach something and then identifying. And we just talked about it a few minutes ago. There are even small little changes they can make that they can't see. It could be even the tone of their voice and how they communicate. Uh, so they can start, though, and here's your answer to your question, identifying yourself 
Now, there's many pieces to this. So I'm going to pace myself because it's an explosive way of identifying. Okay, so the question is, I have low sales. I'm pretending to be a salesperson with low sales. By the way, that would burn me up if I ever, if that ever happened to me. There's something about low sales and Steffi that don't match. <laughs> it's like, what am I doing wrong? Okay. Well, who's going to hire a sales coach if their sales are bad? <laughs> there you go. So like a, low fat, sales. a fat doctor. Yeah. So if we look at low sales and we fraction it off into two pieces. Could it be too few presentations or meetings? We'll call it meetings. Okay. If that's the case, now let's split that off again. Is it call reluctance? Am I really making all the calls I should make? Like, let me be real with myself. And here goes back to our formula, right? If you've been tracking your formula through your CRM and you look at your sales reports, you would be able to identify that I need to make whatever that is. And by the way, I'll just give out another stat. And again, it depends on industry, depends if you're an account manager, but a salesperson should be able to make 60 calls a day, including callbacks. Now that's without interruptions. Now, if you have a full boat of business and you're working on quotes and you have presentations coming up and second meetings, you're not going to do that because you're in that other part of your pipeline, but you're always going to keep making your calls. You have to make some kind of time. So going back to low sales, too few presentations, call reluctance. Hmm. Let's keep going. It's call reluctance. Why? Hmm. Poor work habits. What about low belief? I'm not sure I can even, you know, I don't know if this is even working. Now you start really questioning. Is it, you know, the people I'm calling, you can go down that rabbit hole. Let's take it further. If it's poor work habits, is this salesperson, am I unorganized? Or do I not have clear goals? So see how you can start taking it down a vein? Now, with a sales coach, we work with salespeople to help them identify where in that vein of the challenges are there. And it could be several, right? First, it could be time management, unorganized, and call reluctance, right? It's never just the one. But when, you, when you're unorganized, it ties back to your goals, typically. There's also unorganized in that you don't have great systems. So if we put systems and process aside and stick to belief, mindset, and your sales skills, you'll be able to identify it. At that point, you may still need a coach to help you through. Yeah, now, I, I, can, I, I, I could go on, but I'm going to pause. Yeah, I, well, I, I don't want this to be a plug for you and me in sales coaching, but, but I am a big believer that we all need a coach. Uh, I have a coach, not a sales coach, but I have a coach. Tiger Woods, when he was the greatest golfer in the history of the, the game, had seven coaches on his, uh, on his employ. Because, uh, you know, people who are good, they want to get better and they realize it's very hard to self-diagnose and be honest with yourself because we love ourselves. It, it, here's the other <laughs> thing. It, it, it's accountability, too. You know, mm -hmm. it, I, I consider myself a man of my word and, and it's a very important thing to me. After my three kids, the most important thing in my, my life, my three kids and my dog, not necessarily in that order, by the way, is my integrity. And I consider myself a person of integrity and if I give you my word on something, I'm going to keep it. But if I make a promise to me, I'm a little bit less stringent about it. Not that I don't keep my promises to myself. I'm a pretty disciplined guy when it comes to that. But when it comes to uh, push comes to shove, I might just let myself slide. Where if I know I have to speak to you next week and tell you, I made a promise to you, Steffi, I'm going to make X amount of calls or, or send about whatever I'm going to be doing. And I know I've got to talk to you and I'm going to have to tell you I didn't keep my word. That will... For me, that absolutely drives me to keep my word, just knowing that I have to tell you that I didn't. Uh, I, I have an accountability partner. Uh, we speak every fr Monday morning, uh, Monday afternoon at four o'clock. And there have absolutely been times when it was three o'clock and I go, oh, no, I got to talk to Tracy in an hour. And I didn't do what I said I was going to do. And I'll do it in that hour just so that I can keep my word. So I think the accountability piece with a coach is is as important as the advice that somebody like you can give and the way you can look at somebody's situations and uh, dissect them in a way that they can't do them themselves. 
Um, I have another question for you, you know, and, and it has to do with what we're doing right now. We're using a video conference service uh, called StreamYard. Uh, Zoom is the one that everybody knows. Uh, you know, almost all of us are using Zoom or some type of video conference service extensively for sales. You know, most of my career was spent in face-to-face -face sales or direct sales. Um, I certainly have managed teams of inside salespeople, but now so many of us are really inside salespeople. And is selling via video conference different than selling face-to-face? -face? And if so, what do salespeople need to do differently, especially when it comes to uh, communication skills and listening skills, which I think most salespeople suck at? <laughs> Get away, Steffi. Oh, there you go. So uh, really, okay, so there's similarities because person-to-person, -person, face face-to-face, uh, not Zoom, obviously, but in a meeting outside of Zoom, we need good communication. We need good eye contact. We need good listening. Now, with Zoom, it adds a layer. Here are some tips. So show up early. To be early is to be on time. To be on time is to be late because you never know what's going to happen. You, you know, you were just, on, it, I mean, tell me, it hasn't happened to you, Jeff. You just on a Zoom meeting, you get off, you sign on and nine out of 10 times, I'm absolutely early. If I'm not early, it's because something happened that took me away, but I, I'm, I'm over paranoid that something's going to happen. How many, this has happened. I hang up. Everything was fine. Everything was perfect. I go on and the internet goes down. Well, I'm early, so I grab my phone and I've cellular and I'll do a hotspot because I have time. You know, when you're not, when you don't have time, you start fumbling, you get nervous, and you're you're showing up late. And Jeff, I know you have a one-liner for this. I want to turn it to you, and I love it. And I'll continue in a minute, but I think it's worth sharing with everyone your yeah, take I, on it. I call it the airport theory of time management, and, and what that means is. You could have the best excuse in the world when you get to the airport. But if you're one minute late, the excuse doesn't matter. The plane took off. And I, you, you just said something that was perfect because when I logged on to StreamYard, there was a message, a big red message that says, Facebook has become disconnected from StreamYard, which means nobody on Facebook was going to see this. But luckily, not, not, not luckily, because I do this, I was early. I had the time to reconnect StreamYard to Facebook so that the people on Facebook right now can actually see and hear us. There you go. And I was early, so Jeff didn't have to panic. Where's the speaker? <laughs> Which, by the way, happens almost every week. Uh, I tell people, meet me here between 9.50 and 9.55, and I'm watching the clock, and it's 9.57 and 9.58. I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to have to tap dance until somebody else comes on. Yeah, so there you go. So I love that that uh, that story you tell. So the other is when you're in your, in your sales call, in your sales meeting, Right away from the start, first of all, you're going to frame the meeting. You know, thank you so much for meeting with me. And we're, I plan, uh, based on our conversation before our email, we're going to cover this and that. Is there anything else? And let them know it's almost like uh, housekeeping. You know, when you're in a meeting, I do this all the time when I'm presenting. You know, I'll turn it over to someone who does housekeeping. Please keep your phone on mute. You know the housekeeping rules. You know, uh, if you are going to speak, then turn your video on. Well, in this case, you're doing the housekeeping. So it's, I just want to let you know that I may turn my head. Just know that I'm very much engaged. It's just, I've, and this is true. I have a larger monitor to my left. And a lot of times I may have documentation. We may want to be sharing a, a document or going on, online together. I prefer the extremely large monitor than working on the small one. So whatever is, is going to potentially be a distraction or seem like you're not engaged, let them know right away. You may even say, especially if you're working from the home, I, and if, if you think this will happen, I do have a little dog, uh, which I, I apologize, but she is my co-pilot. Every once in a while, you might hear something. Just know I am very much attentive to our meeting today. And you, know, you might get a giggle or so, but just let them know what's happening. The other tip would be, know where your camera is. There's a little light that beams back. It almost hits you in the head, right? When you want to emphasize a word, something in your sales call, look right into it. Really, you're going to emphasize look right in. That is pure eye contact. So I'm not saying the entire time keep really staring in because when you look straight ahead, it looks like there's eye contact. But when you're emphasizing, 
you know, whatever that is. And that is why the value of not doing it would mean your points will go down. That'll cost you a lot more in your technology insurance. See, I'm kind of leaning in a little, I'm zeroing right in, and that's my emphasis. So that's a tip. Test for understanding. So if Jeff says something to me, play it back, paraphrase it. So what you're saying, I just want to make sure I understand. Da, 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 da. Don't race through your sales call. Pause. Listen. Don't interrupt. Mm -hmm. If something comes in your mind, the beauty of Zoom, and I personally love it because I'm a note taker. Um, I'm either, and sometimes I'll type right in notes. If, if I, if it's the kind of coaching call where we're both doing it, you know, it's just something that we, we agreed to in the beginning, you know, I, I'd like to do this. It's not annoying here in my keys because my client is doing it because she too wants to type down some of these nuggets and tips. Otherwise I'm a big writer. So guess what? I have my pad out. I have whatever I have out all in front of me. And so I don't need to interrupt because something pops in my brain. Like I've noticed you, Jeff, as we're doing this, that if something pops in your brain, I notice there's a little bit of movement. I like that Jeff is taking notes. I'm taking notes. I like it. And guess what? That's part of housekeeping also. During our meeting, I'm, you know, I'll definitely be taking some notes because I want to make sure I capture everything that you're sharing with me. So that's okay. You're sort of asking for permission in a way, because everything you do, and this may seem so silly. What, Steffi? I'm just turning. I'm writing. Of course, I'm writing a note. I don't know what you're doing. Maybe you're looking at your phone because your phone might be on everyone's phone. How close is your phone? This would be an interesting question to everyone. How close is your phone to you right now? Pretty darn Mine, close. Mine is pretty close, except it's buried yeah. under all these notes that I right. have right now. So right. I can't see it. Right. You and I aren't going to be distracted by it, but we're in our office, whether it's home office or not. Our phone's going to be nearby because when we get done with this, I'm going to check my messages. I'm going to go online. So you always want to upfront, let them know that, you know, I do take notes during our meetings. I want to capture everything you're sharing with me. I don't want to miss anything. So now when I tilt my head and take notes, A, I've already asked for, we'll call it permission in a way, because what's the person going to say? Look, that's annoying. Well, guess what's what is annoying? If I turn away and maybe I'm writing a love letter to someone, like what am I doing? Uh, the other is you, you, your chances of interrupting are so low because the thought goes in your mind to my point of what I shared with Jeff, how he turned. I knew he was taking notes. So you're taking notes. You're taking notes so you won't forget. Therefore, you won't interrupt. And then you can go back, test for understanding, look at your notes of what popped in your brain that didn't make sense to say right then and there. So, so keep a blank pad and pen close to you. Um, I do work with sales reps that are really big on OneNote and they'll use they'll either a tablet or they type right in. Just let your client know your prospect might be a prospect, either one. I just want you to know I want to capture everything. I hope my little keystrokes aren't annoying, but this is the way I can really stay organized and make sure I capture everything. A prospect's going to respect you for that. So yeah, those are I some of the people, tips. I tell people up front that, you know, uh, I, I'm looking you in the eye, but if I'm not looking you in the eye, it just means I'm looking down because I'm taking some notes because uh, I want people to know when I'm not, you know, when they're staring at my bald spot, I don't want them to thinking I'm looking at my f- <clears throat> phone or, you know, checking uh, Facebook or something like that. I actually am a big fan of taking notes by hand when you're speaking to a prospect because the the typing is distracting. Um, but but I find by letting people know up front, I'm, I'm going to be taking some notes. So anytime I'm not looking you in the eye, it's just that's what I'm doing. I'm not personally a big fan. Here's a, here's a slight disagreement. You know, we uh, like we said before, most of us agree on almost everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a big fan of asking permission for anything ever. Uh, and I absolutely right. never thank clients for their time. I expect them to thank me for mine. Uh, I'm not a fan of especially starting out a meeting. Thank you so much for your time because I feel that elevates them. It puts them up mm-hmm. here and you and me down here. And, you know, in our business, we need to at least be considered as even. So I'm n- mm-hmm. not a huge fan of that one. But um, but taking notes, I think it's essential. One of the keys, though, I think, is to take notes as quickly as you possibly can, because when you're writing, you can't be listening effectively. And I want to come back to that. You know, uh, um, part of selling is effective listening. And I really do believe most salespeople suck at it because we think we get paid to to talk. What are some tips for better listening skills? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just just 
staying more silent. I think Jeff, you, you brought it up a few minutes ago. Not, you definitely did. Where you know we as salespeople, you're not doing all the talking, and a lot of salespeople believe that I need to talk. I'm transferring knowledge. I'm letting them know everything I do, why we're so wonderful. And then I'll find out about them. Definitely reverse. You know, obviously they have a tidbit. You wouldn't be in the meeting. There's something of value you have shared that sparked their interest, that triggered them to say yes to you. But it is all about them. So planning those qualifying questions ahead of time, having a really good plan and really good questions and having questions of different levels, kind of the lightweight question, severity questions, value questions, have them all set up. And therefore, you'll stay in more of an active listening posture uh, than a very um, interrupting, uh, talking too much And I know salespeople get uncomfortable when it's silent. Silence is golden. First ones to talk, and this might have been Tommy Hopkins, first one to talk loses. It might be from him. I don't know. There's a lot of tidbits. That was definitely Tommy. The first one who speaks loses. Here's my belief that, you know, in sales, we either both lose or we both win. Either you get my product or service and I get your money. You don't get my product service. I don't get your money. So we're we're really on the same side. And and I, I, I... I'm not a big fan of the, the the sales books and gurus who talk about sales is war. Uh, it, 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 it's really, to me, coming from a place of service. And it, it, you said it a moment ago, it's not about your brilliant presentation skills. It's just not. It's about asking questions and making it about them. It's about letting them speak way more than you do. We, we tend to be in love with the sound of our own voices as salespeople. And look, there, there are very few walking this planet that love the sound of their own voice more than me. I, I love being the one that's being listened to. But- that's not how I sell. I love when I have to stand in front of an audience of salespeople and can share information with them that helps them sell better. And I, I love the fa- the looks on their faces as they're getting it. But man, oh man, when I'm selling, it's mostly listening. I'm I'm a great question asker. And I believe that that's what makes me great at sales. Not my brilliant t- presentation skills, not my strong closing skills or yours. It's the ability to care about somebody else and truly come from a place of, I'm here to help you. And then asking the right questions to find out how you can do that. I, I want to I turn to something else, though. Um, I know you work with a lot of sales managers. And my experience is the vast majority of them are unqualified for the job. Simply, It's not their fault, by the way. It's simply because they're mostly salespeople who got promoted but never got trained. Uh, what can a sales rep who has a less than effective sales manager doing. I just want to say one more thing before you answer that. My belief is this, an effective sales manager is the linchpin of every sales organization because most salespeople are only okay at their job. Very few people are superstars. And that means you need an effective sales leader. So how does somebody who does not have an effective sales leader, how can they make themselves better? Besides the self, uh, self-directed uh, thought uh, on what am I doing wrong and the self-look at uh, what they're doing, what, what else can they do to help themselves? Well, I can tell you from pure experience, uh, being a salesperson, and I was uh, recruited into different companies and had different types of, of roles that I can count on one hand and maybe even just two fingers of a sales manager that got me. And I was a top performer. So I was, I was a maverick. I was, I was, I was tough uh, because I needed what I needed to stay on top. So when it came to managers, it really didn't get me or, and either they didn't get me because they also weren't very good. And where weren't they good leadership abilities, right? Cause there's different levels. There's leadership skills. There's uh, training, a manager being able to train, a manager being able to coach, a manager being able to analyze, be analytical, to tie back numbers, to help with improving performance, identifying something really special, and then helping grow that, wherever those gaps are, right? So you need to be self-reliant and you need to work on, for, <laughs> this is where coaches again come in handy. And I, I didn't have a coach. I had to use uh, learning from others. Um, actually, I had a mentor very early on, someone who just who took a liking to me. So after all my calls at the end of the day, I would go to him. I mean, for years, I, I loved him. Um, and I would go to him and say, here's what happened. And because there wasn't really coaches at that time, come to think of it. It wasn't really a 
sales coach consultant profession. So you look, so the goal would be look for mentors, look for other people. Maybe they're not, they're not going to be competitors of yours, but someone that's in a similar type of sales role, but it's better than you that can help you and get a sales coach if you can, because they're going to, they're going to be that, they're going to fill that gap. And here's the thing. There's something, there's definitely going to, you're going to find something good in that sales manager. You want to do that. Otherwise you're going to start getting very disgruntled. Uh, very, and I have to say, I'll, I'm, I'm going to admit it. I was disgruntled. I was very disappointed many times in my career because I'd be standing on stage at the end of the year, top rep. And I can't really say I can thank my manager, but I don't believe because I was younger. I, I believe when I reflect back, I'm more mature, obviously more professionally mature. I, I should have, I mean, I can think back and think, you know, with this one manager, this one thing he did drove me crazy. So instead of focusing on, I needed more of this and that and the other, some motivation, someone to really analyze my numbers a little better. Maybe I was kind of clumsy at it, whatever it was. I could have focused on a few gifts he did have or she, a few skill sets and just zero in on that because you don't want to show up every day also and keep ex- focusing on what drives you nuts that he or she doesn't do because all that does it expands, right? Everything you focus on expands. So if you focus on the good, that will expand. Meantime, you're complimenting it with a sales coach as well as a mentor. You know, get that support system around you. That's what I would suggest. Yep, that's great. I I, I know for me, um, look, you know, I was always good at selling because I had some of the things that tend to make people better at selling. You know, there are characteristics that if you have them, you're more likely to succeed in sales. Doesn't mean if you don't have them that you won't, but I am outgoing. I am friendly. I do care about people. I am articulate. I'm funny. You know, so those things tend to make you better. But what really made the difference for me was two things. One, when I was trained at any company, I listened to what they told me and I did that because I was always, look, I don't know what the heck I'm doing and they probably do. Maybe I should try what they're doing. At Encyclopedia Britannica, the training was this. this here's how long ago it was. You know, it was VHS tapes. You mentioned them earlier. Uh, I sat in a room for two weeks, and every hour the manager would come in and put in another tape. What do you think of that last one? Okay, here's another one for two weeks. And all I did was take notes and practice it, and I did exactly, exactly what they told me to do. Mm-hmm. And within the first two months, I was one of the top reps in the country out of 2,500. I was in the top 10 in the first two months. By month three, I was in the top three, and I never left it for the eight years I was there only because I listened to what they said and I did it. Mm -hmm. And the other thing, which is, I I think it's just common sense. If your manager is not terrific, seek out somebody in your, in your organization who is, I always look for who's the top sales rep. And I want to take that person Mm -hmm. out to lunch and pick their brain. And, you know, I found most of the time they're very generous with information. You know, if you, unless you get the person who's like, I don't want to tell somebody else anything so that they're not good. But usually I find that, experienced people, they want to help the younger people. So I just would seek out their their help. And while I do have as strong an ego as anyone, I was able to put that aside and say, look, I want to be as good as I can possibly be. And that means I don't know everything. You got to seek out somebody else's help. Oh, man, I'm looking at the clock. We're quickly running out of time. And I've only got about 60 more questions for you. Um, <laughs> how about this one? This is this is one that I, 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 uh, I get all the time. How about when prospects go dark? And uh, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, when, when you're emailing somebody or you're calling them and they're not returning your calls, maybe, maybe you've delivered a proposal and that's the last you hear from them. Mm-hmm. What do you do when prospects go dark? And how? And if there, is there a way to avoid that? Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing. Getting the prospect's commitment after at the end of every meeting, what's about to happen? And Giving them action, you know, what, for instance, in that call plan I talked about preparing for your sales, for your sales meeting, you also want to think about what are you going to want from the client and when and give, it's like an assignment, you know, okay, so you'll get me this and we'll talk again. Why don't we get it on the books right now? How's Friday? Why don't we both look at our calendars? How's Friday at one? So work out keeping, I always call it, keep the beach ball in the air. If you don't keep the beach ball in the air, it's going to fall to the ground and we're going to go dark. So how do you keep that in the air? And that means there's an action. There's something you're doing for them. They're doing for you. You're doing for each other. There's another meeting set up. So that's how those are some of the tips for avoiding darkness. You know, yeah, before, oh my before, gosh, before you before you go on, I, I love that. Uh, in fact, that's to me that that's the most important thing I teach. I call it the B.N.A.S., which is. Best next action step. It means you never leave a meeting or a phone call without setting up the next one. So I, 
Well, yeah. I love that stuff. You always move <laughs> things forward. And and how about when somebody does go dark? Uh, do you have any tips for how yes, to move and Don't panic. I was just coaching one of my clients, and that's this is exact scenario. And he's like, "Oh my gosh, you had the quote, and everything was yes." And panic, panic, panic. Fast forward. I'll give you the good news. He ended up getting the business. There were things going on in his world. And it wasn't he was looking for another quote from someone. He was getting some more information and he kind of let days go by. And it actually was a few weeks. So here's a rep went through all this time. They panic. So number one, do not panic. Number two, be bold. Send an invite, send a meeting invite in the email. You know, I just want to go over that quote again. By the way, don't just please don't just I was coaching a sales team that they would just email quotes back. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. Please set up a meeting to go through it because now you've lost control. You've given the keys to the house. So set up that meeting to say, you know, some uh, maybe it's some new information's come up, or I just want to emphasize a few things in the quote, 15 minute, do a 15 minute, send that invite in the invitation. And you can always put in there, if that time isn't good, please propose another co- time. I'll do my best to accommodate your schedule. Leave a voicemail. That's you know, hi, I, I, and why not say this? I'm, I don't want to be annoying. I just want to make sure you received my email and follow-up and my voicemail. I hope everything's okay. I'll be in my office today. I, I'm actually almost fully booked, but you can catch me between three and four. Otherwise, shoot me an email when we can touch base. Even if you're not that busy, be that busy. Don't show that just like, and call me anytime. Matter of fact, I have a crying baby. It's seven o'clock at night. I will put her down and get and pick up that phone when I see it's you. Matter of fact, here's my Batman phone. Don't be desperate. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That that was just another beautiful example of how we all say the same things. and We just use different words. Uh, I just put out a three or four minute video to the Sales Pro Network, uh, I think a week and a half ago about this subject. Uh, I also taught this to a group of salespeople that I'm uh, working with right now. Uh, I call it the should I close the file email or voicemail. And the Mm. subject line is, should I close the file, question mark, question mark, question mark, all in caps. And then the body of the email actually uses some of the words that you just said. So if I was trying to sell you my services, it would be something like, Hey, Steffi, you know, I, I know we met about three weeks ago. You seem to be very interested in uh, working together to help improve sales at your organization. Uh, you seem to be even more interested once I shared my ideas with you. However, since then, I've sent you a couple of emails and left you a couple of voicemails and haven't heard back. And I want you to know I'm the type of salesperson who's incredibly persistent, and I intend to keep reaching out to you until you tell me not to. But I don't want to be a pest. If you're potentially interested in moving forward, Let's set up a time that's convenient for you to ha- continue the discussion. Uh, I'm available, this and this. And if uh, and if those don't work, get back to me with a time and I'll find a way to accommodate your calendar. If, however, you've decided we're not going to move forward, simply reply with, yes, please close the file and I'll never darken your door again. So should I close the file? Works like a charm. In fact, Ben, who's on this call, or at least he was at the beginning, uh, I taught it to him one day. The next day he wrote to me, says, Oh my God, you're a magician. That thing works great. I wish I had known this for the last 20 years. It's it's little things like that to re-engage. And I think it's so crucial. Um, we're actually out of time. Any final thoughts, Steffi? And what's your favorite tip to give salespeople? The number one, your number one tip. Do what you fear, and the death of fear is certain. And that's a quote by Mark Twain. And I've been living by it for probably 40 years. Say it again, please. Do what you fear, and the death of fear is certain. Love that. Put it, putting yourself into the fray. I love that beyond belief. That is awesome. Steffi, um, could you just please share with people before we go, you know, what do you actually do? How can people uh, work with you? And I'm going to share your contact information so they can see how to get in touch with you if they want to. Sure. Thank you again for inviting me, Jeff. It was really fun. Like you said, it would be. Uh, sure. So I do sales coaching and consulting. The consulting part is advice. Uh, because it's it's real hands-on building sales process. If you're a manager, uh, any any kind of development needs in any tenured salesperson, sales manager, uh, I work with those types of clients across uh, full across all industries. So if you're if you're wanting to increase your sales, your your um, earnings, your commission, you need development needs in areas. That's what I do. That's my specialty. Okay, and I'm sharing your contact information. Would you just like to tell everybody your phone number and your uh, email address? 
Sure. It's 301-655-3122. And my email is sj, and my last name, Pasco, P-A-S-K-O-W, at gmail.com. Perfect. Steffi, it was such a pleasure to speak with you today. I'm really uh, appreciative of your time and your expertise. Thank you so very much. And as I end all of these, guys, please remember, sales is a game of making things happen. So make sure you get out there and make sales happen. Thank you, Steffi. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Bye, Jeff. You too.